Did you spell your name Chris with a C? Yeah. That's what I thought. Chris Graham. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, the traditional way, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, I saw, uh, before I get into questions, I saw you're, you're a mechanical engineer. You, you go somewhere in, the, in New England? Or? So I'm not actually a mechanical engineer. Okay. Like I'm, not, I'm not a degreed engineer. Okay. Um, I worked in the business basically my whole life doing everything from janitorial up to running machines and oh, design sweet. stuff. Sweet, dude. And when it came time to go to college, uh, business management was my obvious choice. Oh, cool. I, I knew I wanted to you know, run YHM someday. And uh, so I cool. went to UMass Amherst for business management and just was not challenged at all. Okay. I was big into math and science in high school. Mm -hmm. And business math, I was just bored. Is really what it came down to. Okay. Um, so I transferred into the engineering program at Western New England University, and kind of fell into the same hole there, where I didn't feel like I was being challenged. Okay. And part of that was because I knew I wanted to do mechanical engineering because I knew I wanted to make gun parts and silencer parts and stuff for the yeah. company. Yeah. Yeah. And you know they want you to be a well-rounded engineer. So for the two years that I was there, I did structural and civil engineering and electrical engineering and all the stuff I knew I didn't want to do and I literally just felt like I was wasting my time. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, the end of the first semester of 2005, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I called my dad up and I said, uh, <laughs> I know you've sunk a lot of money into this for me, but I'd like to go back to work. Yeah, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I packed up and literally I went from school to SHOT Show. That was the first year I did SHOT Show. That's so cool. And jumped right back into the business and, um, you know, in the designing role. Cool. No, that's cool. Um, I, uh, that's, that's really interesting. I was wondering about that. Um, there's a, I know I work with a lot of engineers, obviously, because I'm one, but also I work with a lot of folks that are not engineers that do designs with us and things like that. And, and I always, I'm always interested in the background about either why someone wanted to become an engineer or why they didn't decide to and what they ended up doing and if they're happy with their choice. And it sounds like you're doing your thing. And it's it would like, definitely be nice to say that, yes, I'm a degreed engineer who's, you know, interned and worked under somebody. And, sure. You know, it's nice to have that title, uh, but, you know, for what I do and the process to get there just wasn't right for me. Yeah, I think it, it's a means to an end, really. You know, like, your your credentials really, I don't, I don't see them as much as a important resume type of thing. I see it more as, like, well, what do you want to do and what do you right. need to be able to do it? So that's cool. Yeah, it was more about the skills than getting a degree. Yeah, I understand. Um, all right, so I have some questions, um, and we, we might not get through them all, but... Um, I want to ask, when did you get into silencers and why? Like, not professionally, but, like, personally. Like, what was your first experience? Like, what do you... So, my personal experience and my professional experience are the same. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, so, in 2005, um, basically the year that, that I dropped out and went back to work, um, there was a army bid going on for a new suppression system. Okay. And we were really well known at the time for our Phantom Flash Hider. Yeah. And uh, part of the bid for this new suppression system was a quick disconnect flash hider that, you know, the flash hider itself had to have certain capabilities. Mm -hmm. So a gentleman by the name of Mark White, who owned Sound Technologies in uh, Alabama at the time. Okay, I think I know Mark uh, White, yeah. He, he approached us and said, you know, I've got this very good suppressor system. You've got a very good flash hider system. I'd like to work together to, you know, make the two work. And... Um, that was the QD mount that we developed in 05 that we still use today, the taper in front of the coarse threads with the ratchet and collar in the rear. Yeah. And um, so I spearheaded that design, um, took basically his suppressor, 
and altered the rear of it to accept their QD flash hider and cool. went through all the trials and development stuff on that. And okay. um, what really kind of got suppressors off and running for the company is we approached Mark and said, you know, because at the time he was making them literally one at a time in his garage. Okay. And we said, you know, let's work an agreement here, you know, some kind of royalty thing, and let's really mass produce these things because that's what we're good at, you know. Yeah. You're good at making one thing and saying, this is great. We're good at saying, let's make that one thing, and we'll make a thousand of them now. Scale it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's what really got us into the suppressor business. And we used cool. and still use um, his patented uh, slant baffle design. On some of our designs. Some of the, the monocolors that you use have that same baffle I've yep. seen? Okay. Yep. Um, obviously, some things we've gotten away from that as we've found more efficient baffle systems and things. But right. You know, that's what opened the door for us. Very cool, man. Um, that's that's very interesting. Uh, I like that, um, you know, someone saw a need, you know, there's a, there's a contract solicitation and you know the minds came together and it's kind of how it is usually with the government contracting it's like right you know get on a team someone does one thing another one does another and then usually you can spur some creativity later which is cool yep um what like what types of materials have you used in silencer construction like i know for like i mean i know your new can we can, we can talk about later you know it's 17.4 and you got it's tubeless, but you have the Inconel blast baffle, which is cool because you know put on short barrel five five six stuff like that. Yep. Um, is there any? Are there any materials that you've chosen for a specific reason? Anything out of the ordinary or like? So, <laughs> materials is actually kind of I wouldn't say a sticking point, but a, a point of discussion uh, internally within the company. Mm. So the first five five six suppressor that we did um, was complete chromoly steel. Yeah. There was no stainless. Uh, it wasn't seventeen four any exotic alloy. Um, and my father was totally in control of the company at the time and he really resisted the change to stainless which was uh our phantom m2 model uh, when we switched to stainless because on paper the chromoly steel actually has higher tensile and yield strength so for a pressurized environment it's actually a lot better but you give up the corrosion resistance uh, that you get with going to stainless so most people aren't going to use their cans enough where they're going to rust them out, to be perfectly honest. Right. So for the majority of people, a standard chromoly steel, which is less expensive, uh, you know, as a material and it's easier to machine, it is, is yes. a better choice. It results in a stronger suppressor. A little bit softer as a machine, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's way more weldable. Definitely more weldable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where the industry demand stainless because everybody's doing stainless and that's right just to keep up with the joneses you kind of have to make that move yeah are there any um along the same lines are there any materials you find yourself using i don't know because customers or the market's demanding it um not really okay um we've toyed with the idea of stellite and haspaloys and waspaloys and all kinds of you know, the, the merging seals and yeah, the, you know, outrageous, the exotic stuff. Uh, you know, jet engine alloys and things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, yes, in this application, it's basically an indestructible alloy. But 99.99% of the people who buy suppressors are never, ever going to need something like that. And we're not the we did it just because we could kind of company. Yeah. We're very much we did it because this makes sense. And we can put this out at a price point where people can actually purchase it. Right, yeah, so the form is following the function, which, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, and 
we've found because we've been you know designing trial and error and testing suppressors for 15 years now the shape and contours of the baffle seem to have a lot more to do with its erosion rate than the actual materials that's a that's a very interesting observation and it makes a lot of sense you know when you look at the gas dynamics and the and the the different eddies and the turbulence that's happening within the silencer um and you know the the high pressure zones the low pressure zones things like that um yeah it, it, it's not um i guess sometimes people i feel like this is just my observation sometimes people look for a silver bullet and they're like mm -hmm. oh man this is made out of like whatever and it's fine yeah. you know well while while it may make them not have to worry about other stuff you know, it's not really the whole story. Yeah, they probably could have gone a different route and still never had to worry right. about it for their use. Exactly. Um, now, having said that, you know, we use the Inconel as our blast baffle, and yeah. it's an excellent choice for that. You know, yeah, high temperature. Yeah, basically, you know, you're sandblasting the part at high temperatures is what you're doing. You've yeah. got unburnt powder coming out of the barrel. It's heated, and, you know, that's a perfect application for the Inconel. Exactly, yeah, like, you know, an Inconel, um, a Stellite, so, you know, in industrial applications, that's why, I mean, that's why you use Stellite. Yeah. It's sandblasted at high temperature, and it's, like, yeah. was built for, right? Um, so, along the same lines of the materials, like, I was going to ask you, with regard to, to casting and, and then grinding, or versus machining them, like, you know, because you, you know, with Stellite, you probably, it's so hard, you probably can't machine it. Yeah, it's really not machinable. You have so, to like, what's your right? experience with that? You got, you pretty much machine everything i mean it's in your name you get a machine <laughs> yeah. but i don't know if you cast anything or uh we actually do use some castings for the non-suppressor related product okay um, some of our muzzle brakes and gas blocks and things like that are from a casting cool but usually that's in a mild steel a 1018 or something like that okay um we've looked at doing casting um both in stellite and in titanium on baffles and we could still machine it less expensively so it didn't make sense to go to a casting yeah okay that's what i thought i just thought i'd ask because like i always wonder like when i look at gun parts not only sounds reports but other parts I'm like what if anyone ever thought of casting this yeah you know instead of machining it because i mean I, obviously there's labor involved with machining and you guys are set up like i was looking at the the youtube video of your <laughs> new facility and i was just like because i mean we have like in my facility that i run I think we, we have one lathe because yeah. we know we and we have you know a mill an old mill and uh we don't you know if we something need something machine we send out to a machinist right. we're doing i mean the steel we're working with we have you know 30 ton sections we're moving to do other things so you know when you look at the scale of like a, a machining operation like you have and it's such so big it's it's just amazing to me so yeah i think that's something that you know a lot of people don't realize about us is yes we make suppressors and guns but machinists and heart yeah. so when we're designing those suppressors or firearm components we're not just thinking about what we want it to do we're thinking about how we're going to make it yeah and if our design features make sense from a machinability standpoint that's really cool um so i had a question on here about um what type of tolerances tolerances you use for silencer manufacturing i don't even know if that's an important question but it might be because I was wondering. You're gonna QC all your stuff. You guys are used to huge, large-scale operations for you know, producing a bunch of batches of different parts. Mm -hmm. You know, not only silencers. So, and are you lots of military contracts. Exactly. And things like that. So, what are you doing? Yeah. Like mic and everything? Like, do you have like a special QC department? Like, yeah, we have a full QC department, um, and the operators at the machines, you know, have a schedule that they check certain uh, okay. features and dimensions at throughout the run to make sure that everything's staying where it should be. You know, more critical things have, you know, 
tighter checks more often. So it's a pretty much a standard manufacturing type tolerance checks and stuff. Like I, I just thought I'd ask because I, I know that, you know, someone doing Form 1 cans or someone starting in their garage, like you, you talked about Mark White doing that. Yeah. You know, he's going to look at his run out and mm-hmm. things like that. But you guys are so experienced with your tolerance checking, you must like have it down to like, you probably like it. So yeah. everything's fine. Well, it's funny you talk about that because when we first started doing suppressors, we test fired every single suppressor that left our facility. Wow. Every single one for probably the first two or three years. And I think in that time, we had maybe one issue that arose and it was an issue that we looked at it and went this doesn't look right but let's shoot it and see what happens hmm. um but other than that you know thousands of cans that we shot with no issue and we basically said okay obviously we've got our process under control now we're just wasting ammo at this point yeah you have so. a big enough statistical sample where you're like if there's a problem we're going to take care yeah, of it afterwards we're going to find it before it gets to this yeah point. okay and now um you know we edm the bore on most of our suppressors oh that's right and the, you know, the mount in the EDM uh, perfectly mimics the QD mount, so everything is totally concentric in there, too. So Yeah, so that, that really takes another step out of, like, you know, a baffle strike fear or whatever. Exactly. And then even after that step, every single one of those, you know, gets inspected for check for runout and bore size. So Cool. Okay. Um, I was going to ask, uh, with regard to, like, the gas flow, you know, um, within, you know, the silencer and out of the silencer. Do you guys ever study that or do you do an- analysis or anything or do you're just prototyping and like, like what are your thoughts on that and what have you done? We, we've done a combination of both. Okay. Um, there are so many good design houses and engineering houses that, you know, you can send their models to and they'll run the simulations and stuff that we tend to not do that in-house. Okay. You know, we'll run a SOLIDWORKS simulation to get kind of a rough idea of uh-huh. if we, we think is going to happen in our head is what's actually going to happen. Okay. Uh, but that really doesn't have the power to simulate, you know, expanding gases as well as a bullet that changes, you know, the... Position, the, yeah. The, yep. Uh, so we get kind of a rough idea from that. Uh, but, you know, most of it is just build it, test it. Yeah, I understand that. I was thinking, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people um, in the industry you know here and there about folks that want to model the the event that's happening right before the the bullet leaves the barrel you know yeah. the so-called uncorking event and it's very complicated yeah and I, to my knowledge even the national labs can't quite get it right so um i think that you know a simple simplified modeling and then supplementing it with your prototyping i guess just getting a pretty much a starting point with the simplified models is Probably what everyone's doing. Yeah. I I've, I felt like that was the case, but I just wanted to ask you. Yeah, and I mean, we've been doing this long enough now where we we have a general idea of how things are mm-hmm. going to perform. Um, but you know, an interesting aside from that is a couple of years ago we came out with our Nitro 30 caliber suppressor. Right. That has, I think, 11 baffles to it. Mm-hmm. And the next development phase from that was our Turbo in the 5.56. And so we basically took that same 11 baffle suppressor and shortened it up said all right it's five five six length let's go test it i think it had yeah. you know ten or nine baffles at the time mm-hmm. and uh, it sounded terrible it was uh, like a complete swing and a miss and i went to our our rd group and i said well take half the baffles out of it and they looked at me crooked and like why, how, why would we take baffles out if you're trying to make this quieter and i kind of went to them and said well you guys just try it and see what happens yeah and um so they had a five baffle can and it was quieter and i said all right take half of them out again see what happens and so we ended up with three baffles in our turbo suppressor that sounded great. And uh, so, you know, you learn from time that 
for some reason, the 308, the 30 cal cans seem to really like lots of baffles with a little bit of space between them. And the 556 five, just seems to like to have a little bit more room to breathe. Yeah, I mean, you know, it might be the the pressure differential. It might be the gas velocity. Yeah. It, it, you know, it might be... Well, the... I think a, what a lot of it is, is, too, is that, you know, the rounds that people are shooting are designed for a 20-inch gun. Right. And nobody's shooting 20-inch barrels. So even on a 16, you know, what's considered a full-length barrel, you know, you've still got 25% unburnt powder coming out of that muzzle. And, you know, that's why it seems to like to have you know, larger expansion chambers because it's still burning off at that point. Yeah, and you have some kind of strange plasma stream or something, that, something that, you know, the physics are not the same. And yeah. so dealing with that, and, and that's something that you're not going to model right. Um, yeah. And even if you spent all the money, I think, <laughs> in time to model it, you still, I just don't think you'd get ahead. Yeah, I think we'd still be ahead of the curve if we had made three different designs and we exactly. tested them. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, it's refreshing to hear you, you <laughs> say that. Um, and you never really know until you build it and shoot it anyway. You know, That's even correct. if you run the simulations and it looked perfect, it might run out there and yeah, it might meter at 135 decibels, but it's such a high frequency tone that it sounds like 150 decibels. That's right. Yeah, the, yeah. You look at the the what are the Fletch Munson curves of the equal loudness curves for humans, and yeah. like, you know, high frequency. You know, it's going to sound so much louder, even though it's yeah. not. Um, have, so along those lines, do you have you ever experimented with different bore apertures and changing it down the, the length? Like longitudinally? Mm -hmm. okay. So every one of our suppressors actually, just as basically a margin of error or safety margin, the bore gets larger as it gets further away from the muzzle of the fire. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, on the EDM'd ones, uh, basically we just EDM a cone shape in there, you know, with that electronic wire. And um, on the monocore ones, you know, each baffle steps up. Do you use like a set, um, like let's say for the baffles that are like super close to like the, the blast chamber? Do you use like a rule of thumb for your clearance around the the bore, or like is it a percentage of the diameter, or is it like a set clearance number? Or? <laughs> um, it's more of a percentage. Okay. Uh, you know, for example, on two two three, we're usually running about a two fifty bore on the first baffle. Okay. And then on three oh eight, um, we're about three fifty. Oh, okay. Cool. So we we do step it up a little bit just so that uh, you know percentage wise the margin of error is little. Okay, you kind of keep it similar. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, let's see. Um, so how do you how do you test your silencers? I mean, I guess I'll list all the stuff that I thought about. Yeah. I thought I thought about durability. I thought about structural integrity. I thought about sound. Mm -hmm. I thought about on-off cycles with the mount, and I thought about repeatability and accuracy. Yeah. So like all those things is that like like what's your process? Like, it sort of depends on what market we're looking to hit with the okay. suppressor. Um, you know, it's uh, like they say in cars, you know, uh, light, fast, and cheap, you can pick two. Right. Uh, sort of the same thing with suppressors, you know. Um, you can have, you know, quiet, light, and short, pick two. <laughs> uh, yeah. And usually, you know, not even those two are in any kind of combination. Um, so if we're going after, you know, like with the turbo, um, we developed that with a budget in mind. You know, we had certain goals that we wanted to hit. You know, it's got to be hearing safe, preferably below 135. Yeah. Um, and it's got to come in with the mount sub $500. Um, so the first thing we test for is sound, you know, because that's the easiest metric to measure. You know, you can test that in, you know, a few boxes of ammo and get a good base. And how do you do your sound? Do you use, like, a one of those B&Ks? Yeah, we have um, not the B&K, the other one. Um, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to remember which is it like a you have a DAC system that you're using or is it a um it's a 
Well, the two like military approved one for the mil spec testing are the B and K and the other one that I can't remember. Well, I, I can't ours remember is either. the uh, the more digital looking one. You know, it doesn't have the needle on it. Oh, I understand like what you're saying. One. Okay. Um, but it's got the specified rise time and everything on it. Okay. Um, we use that for our official testing, and then we also have a digital um, microphone setup. It doesn't have the 20 millisecond rise time. It's got a 30 millisecond rise time. So that's usually our baseline. And then when we get something that's good on that, uh, we take the analog meter out and do the official testing. Okay. Like, okay. I understand. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. The, the, the microsecond rise time for those those meters is so important for gunshot measurement. And, yeah. and it's, um, it's a whole thing. It's just the whole, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But, yeah. uh, I have some ideas with regard to that, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah. So typically like we start with sound testing and if it sounds good, you know, the next thing we do is make sure it shoots good because it shoots well, excuse me. Um, so that, you know, we make sure that we, if we have something that sounds great and you can't hit the broadside of a barn, it's going yeah. to anybody. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we have kind of a point of impact shift in mind. Um, and obviously, you know, a group size in mind that we're, trying to, you know, pun intended, shoot for when we're out there testing. Um, and if those things go well, then we start beating the can up. Um, typically what we start with is the SOCOM test, where you do eight 30-round magazines loaded up in the case of 5.56, and you do a full-auto mag dump, and then one round every second of full-auto mag dump, cool. one round every second, and you just repeat that. Let the can cool the ambient, uh, check it out, make sure that there's no... Uh, stress fractures or imperfections in the welds that we haven't had any baffle strikes cool. check on the erosion at that point and then run that whole test through three more times that's cool that you there is like you know because people talk about the full auto rating and, and what that even means and yeah. and you know any kind of rating without a standard is kind of not a thing <laughs> yeah so that's cool i mean that, that that's good information um i know not not everyone has machine guns obviously um but you know i feel like you can get a you can get a sensor pretty hot just with semi-auto, I mean, if you went and fired around every second and you kept doing that for like six mags, yeah, like you're gonna get it. You might even get it. I postulate you might get it hotter than full auto. One round per second actually does heat the can up more yeah. than full auto because full auto you still your one round is pushing a lot of that right. powder and gas out the front. Right. The next round, whereas one round every second, it heat sucks into the can and then you hit it again. Yeah, you have more dwell time and essentially your your thermo inertia doesn't matter than you're screwed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Um, well, great. We already answered the other question I was going to have. Um, and we, I think we're doing okay on time. I don't have that many more. Because um, I, I kind of really want to shoot your turbo. I'm like, super excited <laughs> about it. Um, and you also, I, I was going to ask you about economy of scale and machining processes for your other products and it, if it allows you to keep silencer costs down and stuff like that. And I, I think, it, yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask you if there's synergy between all the vectors of your product lines and the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, um, we don't really have like you know, the silencer division and the no. division and the parts division, you know. Yeah. We're, we're a relatively small family-run business, so we're balancing yeah, it all you're pretty lean I, I i feel like you operate pretty efficiently i after i watched those videos last night and i was like man i was like these guys like they <laughs> kind of have it down to a, a it's kind of a, a very sweet coordinated ballet yeah um especially in the new facility it's, yeah it's, it's really strange still to have an actual workflow you know because before we were on uh, an old mill building that was four levels tall that was built in the 1840s wow and then we had a separate location down the street that was a newer block building um then you know, we didn't have machine cells where every machine runs the same job 24-7. You know, we don't operate that way. 
So we might run, you know, a lower receiver that starts in building one, and then, uh, oh, the specialized machine that we run it on in building two that does it the best. So we got to move parts across the street, and then it comes back to the first building to get final inspected. Cool. There was a lot of back and forth and up and down, and to see things come into the new shop, do a nice counterclockwise circle, and go out the back door, um, you know, it's really rewarding to feel like, you know, hey, not only do we have this new place, but you know, things are better, things are operating better, and that's, you know, helping to keep costs down to our customers, too. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much extra space and the efficiency gained from it. I mean, it just, comfortable workers that aren't pressured, yeah. like, just almost geometrically, it's weird. It just, like, makes productivity increase. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's yeah. like a feng shui, maybe, or yeah. something. Like that. We, we, spent, we spent a <laughs> lot of time making the, the building that we bought a nice place to work. Cool. Um, you know, because, you know, I don't want to go to work every day to someplace that's a greasy dungeon. Yeah, either, man. So. <laughs> no, for real. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, let's see. Um, what is, I guess, I was going to say there's a lot of people making silencers now. I mean, I, I can't, I couldn't believe it. When I got into silencers, probably... I want to say like 2005, 2006 is when I really got into them. Yeah. And now, yeah, there were I mean, it's there. Maybe half a dozen people then. Yeah, there were. I mean, like, that's pushing it. You had like AWC and Gemtech and AAC, you know, uh, you had SWR was starting now. Yeah, SRT. SRT, um, you know, just, and it was a small, close knit, hot, it was almost like a hobbyist community with a bunch of dealers. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you have so many dang popular baffle design i mean you, you listed some of them right the patents on the you know the slant core you know core mono mo, um, the monocore baffles that are slanted that you know different spacings i've seen a lot of people use those yep. in all kinds of calibers <laughs> pistol the rifle um do, do you do you guys pride yourself on anything in particular with what you've done with silencers now differently than like other folks what we've always been really proud of whether it be suppressors firearms or whatever is uh you know, like I said, it kind of goes back to designing to manufacture to keep the cost low, mm-hmm. um, and keeping other people out of it and marking it up. You know, we we got our start really with you know not our start, but we got our uh, retail division start with handguards. Yeah, exactly. You the, the the YHM yeah. famous freaking barrel nut <laughs> stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, you know, we're talking early to mid '90s. You know, the only other comparative handguard out there was four five hundred dollar msrp yeah. and we looked at that and went that's crazy we could make that it's an Probably aluminum s- extrusion you're right. cutting it you're you're freaking anodizing yeah. it we could make that <laughs> sell it for a hundred bucks yeah and that's exactly what we did and when we started getting into the silencer market um other industry members literally came up to us and said why are you selling it for this price you could be selling it for this uh-huh. and our answer basically was because we're not here to screw people over you know we expect to make a certain amount and if we can make it so that more people can afford it, the better. I'd rather make five nickels than one dime. And you know, and hearing it put that way, I think it's important. I mean, to me, it's important because, um, you know, like I told you before we started talking here, um, I hadn't shot YHM can before. Um, when I heard about you guys starting to make cans, and a lot of people, you know, especially on like the old silencer forums, 
you know, like songs are talking. I'm, yep. You were on all that stuff yep. back in the day, you know, everyone talking shit all the time. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, you know, that's budget stuff. And oh, yeah. if you really want it, you need to go with X brand. And <laughs> yeah. da, da, da. And it's if like, you didn't Whoa. pay $1,000 for your suppressor, you didn't buy the right one. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, there's some of that in every industry. I've probably every product. You know, there is out there people, you know, I mean, Cadillac increases the cost of their car to compete with the Mercedes and they didn't yeah. have to do it. You know, it's weird stuff like that. Yep. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate you, you talking about that because um, yeah. I think it's important. That's actually something that we struggled with for a while is because of our price point, people view it as a budget can. So, like, it yeah. must be – it's less expensive than X can. So X can must be better for some reason. Otherwise, why would it be more expensive? And to try to break that stigma without just artificially inflating our price is something that we've always struggled with to try to tell people that, yeah. you know, yes, it may be two-thirds of the cost of a different suppressor, uh -huh. but you're not giving anything up. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I had, let's see, before we, I had some questions about your new one, but my last question, I wanted to know, what's your favorite silencer host, like personally? Your favorite silencer host? That's a good question. Um, I guess it would. It's kind of dependent on the round we're shooting. Well, I had. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask you. I was <laughs> okay. gonna ask you nine millimeter, forty five, and then a rifle, whatever caliber you want, and yeah. then a machine gun or submachine gun. So nine millimeter, I've been really happy shooting the M and P Compact Nine. Okay. Cool. Um, it for some reason that host just seems to be a really good fit for our sidewinder suppressor even with the shorter barrel even with the shorter barrel it just it just sounds really good i wonder if the locked up time just the geometry is different yeah if just something is just right so like more gas is passing through the suppressor rather than blowing through the action or what and we've, we've measured it there's a measurable difference so that's the mnp compact yeah my girlfriend carries a shield and i and i got her a threaded barrel for christmas i and i i haven't put a silencer on it yet for and i'm I'm, I'm just knowing I'm thinking I'm going to baffle strike because <laughs> it's going to unlock so damn quick yeah. and I feel like it's going to like I don't know but M&P Compact I'm going I'm to remember that because I want to try it what about 45? Uh, 45 it's tough to beat a 1911 everyone tells me that um, you know it, if you're using uh, you know the average 1911, you yeah. know, you are kind of stuck with the poor sight picture with a can on it. Sure. But if you've got something where you can swap the sights off, or honestly, I shoot with a suppressor so much, you really can just kind of sight down the top of the suppressor. Yeah, you're like a, you can do like a both eyes open, or even yeah. like a looking through it type of thing. Yep. Okay. Um, but uh, it's just crazy that you know you can engage targets, you know, 50, 100 yards out, or 150 or 100 yards out, and it's hit them. You know, with a, with a 1911, most people go, "You're nuts," and then you. You know, we used to set up clay pigeons at the bank at 50 yards and just pick them off, and most people would be like, this is not something that happens. Like, That's cool. You know, yeah, I mean, we're not quick drawing and blasting through them, you know, like some competition shooter, but... Still have fun. Yeah, and to hand someone the same gun and go, it's, it's not me, try this. Like, the suppressor just makes it that much more accurate. It's awesome. And you've got a nice big frame, so you got something good to hang on to, and recoil is really nice on it, so... Cool. That's cool. I, you know, I don't even, I don't even have 1911. I have a, I have a FNX 45 tactical. It's a big, yeah. crazy military handgun, and it sounds great. Yeah. The silencer. The Mark 23 is in real tight contention with me. Uh, that Those gun, are cool. It's just so big, and I mean, <laughs> it's designed to be suppressed too. Which it is. It's just, it just shoots really nice, and it's so big and heavy. There's no recoil at all to it. Yeah, the, I mean the the action. I guess the action dynamics. You know, the the locking system is just perfect for suppressed use. Yeah. It, I mean HK. I mean they knew what they were doing. Yep. 
That's cool. Okay, so like rifle, it doesn't matter what caliber. Like what, like semi-auto rifle do you like? Like, um, the ten twenty two is pretty tough to beat. A ten twenty two with a suppressor on it, or like uh, an integral suppressor, it just puts a smile on every perfect. grown man's face that I've handed it to. Well, what about a rifle caliber? Or like a real rifle caliber? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of partial to the AR because okay. I'm around them all the time. Do you like, what do you like, uh, like a, a 14 inch, 10 inch, 16 inch? I usually go full 16. 16, okay. Yeah, you know, if I'm going to shoot it, it's because I want it to be quiet. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to make a 10 and a half inch AR quiet. Yeah, you can make it quieter. Quieter, but you probably don't want to take your ears off. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely love to shoot subsonic 308. It's just, it's, it's just... There's no way to describe it. You have to experience it. To just, it is cool. It sounds like someone blew a spitball through a steel tube, and then a few seconds later you hear a steel impact of the round. It's You're talking goofy. about with, with a bolt action, then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say semi-auto with 308 subsonic. I don't even know how. Well, yeah, you like might be so able much. to cycle it, but I don't yeah. know how. You probably really like bolt carrier or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah, or an no, extremely no adjustable gas block. Yeah. Um, and what about, so, like, what about, like, the, the happy switch guns, like the machine gun or submachine guns? Uh, so, we've threaded some really weird guns to play with suppressors. Um, the RPK was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a lot of fun. The Papa Shaw was a lot of fun, too, just because who's seen one of those with a suppressor on it? Nobody. <laughs> um, but uh, if I had to pick one... I'm tempted to say the MP5 just because it's it's like a typewriter. It just rattles off rounds. It runs perfect and it sounds awesome. Yeah, um, it does but, have a nice cyclic rate, doesn't it? Yeah, but I'm gonna have to go with the M3 grease gun. Oh yeah. We threaded up one of those and just the slow cycle rate on 45. Is it it's, 500 rounds per minute or less? It's probably less. It's like 400 yeah. or something. It's stupid slow. It sounds amazing because the round is so slow. And it's just like tack, 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 tack. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I have shot one of those suppressed. There's a there's a range in San Antonio uh, that had one for rental a long time ago. And I shot it and I just sat there and I was like, this is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, cool. No, that's... I always... like. I, I just really wanted to know that. I mean, I think of when I think of like a silencer manufacturer or a gun accessory manufacturer, and like you have all these guns that you have access to, and like all these yeah. silencers. Like, well, you get a room full of guns, you must have favorites. You might have, yeah, you can't shoot everything. Yeah. Um, okay, so the 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 stuff, the the turbo, the turbo five five six K. Um, I I was reading about it, and I looked at the pictures and stuff. There's one sitting right there. Um, I guess I could, you got a couple of them there. Yeah, here. yeah. This is the one where so it, this is the this is okay so it's a tubeless silencer so you're you've got your blast baffle assembly and your tubes and then you're welding them together with your robot welders this yep. is pretty sweet you're going to edm it and then on the inside your blast baffles in canal because you know you like we talked about with the sand blasting and then the rest of it's 17.4 is that that's correct okay cool yep. this the the female end where the mount goes is that the standard is it like one and a half by, was it a 24 TPI? It's inch and three-eighths by 24. Oh, inch and three-eighths. Yeah, it's, a, it's, okay. it's kind of become an unofficial standard. The you Omega, know, it was the Omega the first one? I don't know, maybe. Omega, Saker, yeah. Saker, yeah, yeah. okay. So the old SWR pitch, and, you know, yep. that's what they used. Um, so cool, now you can, I guess everyone can use their favorite flavor of the day. Yeah, now. exactly. But you know what? Honestly, dude, I was, I was, so I was looking at your mount last night, um, and with all the shit talking that's going on now in the industry, I won't name names, 
with tapers and their positions mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah. You guys have been doing this for like <laughs> yeah the whole time. <laughs> I mean, your taper is in the right yeah. place. Um, yeah, when people started talking about taper mounts being the new thing, and I was like, that's uh-huh. the new thing. Like that's how we designed ours to work from the beginning. From the beginning, <laughs> and I like I you know even when you know you let it click on, and then even if it doesn't um, index on the tooth, you can just. Pick it up and yeah, and it would still be secure. Yeah, the the teeth on there are secondary locking mechanism. That taper locks together and it it, it locks it up. I mean, that's how machine tools and stuff work. And, and you know that we make these parts with. So, what's your favorite feature of this new silencer? Like, what's your like? What do you like about it? Uh, definitely the modularity. Um, I think mm. that's something we're going to see a lot more. We've already been experimenting in other calibers and stuff too. Okay. You know. And by the by modularity, you mean the the mount? The mounting system. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, because right now. For the most part, you're married to one company when you buy into their mounts. You're right. I mean, I have a bunch of rugged cans. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, my, my machine guns are pending, and I knew I needed to use them. And I, you know, and I know Henry from back in the day, and I was like, you know what? I like the look of their cans. They have some good performing stuff, and I was like, I want to buy some of those. Well, now I'm, I have all these rugged mounts. Yeah. If you've got sixty you know, mounts, and you know, we come out with a new suppressor that yeah. blows everybody away. Yeah, I can't you use know, your stuff unless I want to change out my barrel. I hate doing that, man. Right. And then you're talking, you know. 80 to 90 dollars per mount and you're almost at the cost of the suppressor at that point so that's correct i think for the industry as a whole that this is going to be a good shift i concur i i concur i i talked to mike Papas from dead air about that too um he's he's a funny guy and we were talking at shot show and uh, he was like dude it's like freaking when your four truck gets old and then you're looking and all the freaking parts are wrong and you yeah. don't know what, you know you don't want to the can't you know company's out of business you want a new mount what are you going to do not that you guys are going out of business, you guys, you guys will probably be here long after everyone else is gone, <laughs> if history shows anything. But um, so, when you guys set out to develop a K silencer, at least in the, this five five six, was this um, response to market demand, or did you see a real gap in your product line? Um, it was a little bit of both. Okay, you know, K cans have been getting increasingly popular, <clears throat> and. Uh, we basically looked at our turbo and said, this thing performs great. Let's take a baffle out of it and see what it does. And, uh, hey, we think we're onto something here. You know, let's uh, make the back half of it modular and, you know, see if we can come up with a system there that we like. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, we did. We're happy. So we've got our Phantom QD adapter that comes with the QD brake. Yeah, I noticed that. And I, I, I read, um, I, well, I computed it. I saw, I saw the weights. <laughs> and it said it was, like, I computed it to be 13.3% lighter. Yeah. Man, am I doing this right? I think I'm, this is starting correctly. Yes. There you go. Good. I didn't want to like, cross her. <laughs> um, so is that with the QD mount? The yeah. weight? Okay. So our, all the specs that we list online are including you know, whatever adapter. The whatever adapter. Okay. And, you know, I'm holding both of them here, and the the K is definitely lighter. I mean, it's smaller. Um, I, I'm, I don't recall the... I guess the the at muzzle decibel rating or the one meter to the left or whatever you listed. Yeah. How how much are we giving up in sound suppression? From the full size turbo to the K version, you're giving up two to four decibels depending on okay. you know, the host and the load. Which actually isn't crazy different. No, honestly. not really. Uh, we're talking you know 134 to 136 on your average 16 inch gun. Yeah. 138 to 140 on a 10 and a half inch barrel. I mean, and for and I kind of tell folks, at least this is my experience too. If you're going to be running a ten and a half inch AR, and when I say ten and a half inch, I mean five five six AR. Yeah. Um, 
you're going to be running hearing protection anyway. Yeah. So you probably just want the shortest can that's not going to blow like stuff next to you away. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So that I'm excited to shoot it. Um, yeah. You know, even at that 140 mark on a 14 or a 10 and a half inch gun, you know, most people who are utilizing those firearms are either doing it for fun at the range and they're going to, you know, have ear pro available, mm-hmm. or they're in law enforcement and if they fire off, you know, a few rounds. You know, that's going to be the end of it, and then it's going to go back on the shelf. So, right. you know, for that you know, low volume of fire, you know, it's probably not going to affect you too bad. I mean, for a carbine course, for example, you know, you're running a, a short barrel 5.56, and your, your buddies might not be. You're going to have ears on anyway, too. Right. From your gun and their guns, why not run a K-Can? Yeah. I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's lighter, uh, more maneuverable, yep. uh, I suppose. And you're still going to be reducing recoil and increasing your group, or increasing accuracy decreasing your group size so yeah it's kind of like a good weight on the end of your barrel to keep things kind of yeah settled yeah um so i guess uh how do you weigh product demand and research in the market and new ideas like you know you have people coming up to you and say oh we want to do this now or is that like um like i don't know where the ideas (laughs) coming from do you have a director of product development um so not really basically my brother and i and our uh, r&d engineer our basically our product development team so some of it is personal preference of what we see is missing from our lineup or you know what we think is going to be the next big thing uh-huh. and then some of it is you know customer demand people say hey i think you should have this um and it makes sense to us and we see that there's you know an actual demand for that because there's always one person going hey you need to make this and you know i'll buy one and you know we're not in the business of making one. <laughs> right. You know, when you got 500 of them sold, come talk to me. That's a good point. Uh, so we try to balance our own personal preference with market demand. Because okay. there's things that you know we think are great that uh, the market as a whole just has looked at and go, no, I don't think so. Hmm. That's, good. That's, that's good information. Okay, last question so we can shoot because I know that we're getting, I think we're getting looks. <laughs> um, what is your favorite silencer that you guys don't make? favorite silencer that we don't make to be perfectly honest we don't have a very large library of other manufacturers silencers yeah um now we've got really only half a dozen or so different manufacturers okay um just for comparison's sake every once in a while but uh, you know we're not buying them all the time and cutting them apart and okay. finding out how they tick sure um you know feature wise um I really like uh, the Radiant. Yeah. Um, I think kind of having the uh, the K can and a full size can in one package is a is a, a great step in the right direction. I uh, I just bought one of those. Yeah. Um, well, I told you I had the rugged mounts, and I like my surge in the short configuration. Yep. And that's what the, that's what the Radiant is. Anyone is fully and it's full and it's lighter, so I'm gonna hunt with it. Yep. Stuff like that. Okay. Dude, thank you so much. This was awesome. I hope that these questions weren't too. Um, I don't know wrote or like you know old hat <laughs> no but, uh, it was great actually a lot of uh okay. questions that people haven't asked me before which is cool. which is good i do get okay. sick of saying the same thing over and over again sometimes all right well all right we're gonna go shoot now all right cool thank you <laughs>